0: listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief because all children leave footprints on our hearts. And welcome to episode thirty-five of the podcast. How are you all doing this week? Um, I hope you're well, and that unlike me, you're not under current lockdown restrictions. I think for those of us in the UK, um, we were expecting a big announcement kind of earlier this week that was perhaps going to plunge us all back into a perhaps not a full-on lockdown, but certainly restrictions in terms of seeing friends and family and. That doesn't seem to have materialised at the moment, which is good news, but um, there are still vast swathes of northern England in particular, which is where I am, who are currently under the grip of um, local lockdowns. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably not the only one to say it's getting pretty wearing by now. Um, (laughs) You know, when you haven't had a hug from your friends or family for, well, I guess the best part of what, six, seven months eight months, I've honestly, I've lost track. (laughs) It just feels like the whole of 2020 has nearly gone past. Um, Yeah, and now we can't even, you know, meet up and sort of see them at a distance. But hopefully, uh, the measures and the restrictions will work. And the coronavirus, COVID rates will go down and we can get back to some some sort of normality, and I think i'm again, I'm probably not the only one who's kind of got half an eye on Christmas now. I always refuse to think about Christmas until at least the beginning of November, but this year, you know I'm kind of looking ahead and and going, you know are we going to be able to have Christmas as normal? are we going to be able to see our families or all of our families in one place? My husband in particular has got quite a large family, and certainly we would be breaking the rule of six to all be gathering together. Um, for, you know, Christmas Day lunch. So yeah, fingers crossed anyway. Let's stay optimistic and positive about it. So on today's show, I am delighted to welcome Kat Strawbridge, who you may know as host of the Finally Pregnant podcast um, and a big voice speaking out about infertility and loss on particularly on Instagram. Um, We talk about our own experiences and have some tips for you if you're currently pregnant. And Kat shares some of her experiences on parenting after loss, which I found particularly useful given that's been um, part of my kind of overwhelm of the past few weeks has been kind of actually considering and thinking about this possibility that, that, you know, we might be bringing a baby home (laughs) and what do you do with a baby and how do you keep them alive and um, all those kind of anxieties which I haven't really allowed to hit me until now. Um, So we talk a bit about that. We talk about managing anxiety and the excitement during pregnancy after loss. And I think particularly um, something which I know a lot of people or I've seen a lot of people raise and I think a lot of people feel this is the kind of the grief you have over the loss of a, a sort of normal pregnancy and also how that can affect how a previous loss or infertility can affect your birth choices um and you know perhaps your your view of what your ideal birth would have looked like has maybe changed so i really hope you enjoy this special episode and find it useful um, take care and i'll be back next week with another episode Today I'm joined on the podcast by Kat Strawbridge for a special episode on pregnancy and parenting after infertility and loss. Welcome to the show, Kat, and thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
0: I think we've got a lot to talk about so I will have to keep a little bit of on time because I've got a feeling it's a topic we could talk about all day Um, and we're going to be sharing our own experiences in this episode and perhaps touching on you know other other people's experiences who we've come across in the baby loss community so I thought it would be useful if we start by giving an overview of our journey to getting pregnant, particularly as we've got quite different experiences. So could you perhaps start by giving us a bit of an overview of your
1: journey to getting pregnant with REN? Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is going to be a nutshell. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> this could be a whole podcast episode in, its, in itself. Um, I started trying to conceive with my husband in 2012, shortly after we got married. I'd just changed jobs. And we were a bit like, oh, well, let's not go on maternity leave straight away. Um, yeah, whatever. Uh, so we didn't start immediately. But a few months later, we did. I actually think that I got pregnant the first time we tried. Um, I remember walking down Victoria glorious street or road and just being overwhelmed by a nausea and all that day i couldn't eat certain things it just is like nothing i'd ever experienced before but my period came a couple of days later and so i'm sure if i had tested i don't know we'll never know and i think the same thing happened again a few months later actually but nothing else happened for a good while so we did go to the doctors had our initial tests um nothing was showing up as obviously wrong we were referred to our fertility center which at the time was in London and we got one free NHS round of IVF but that was actually preceded by um by three rounds of IUI which I was really pleased about at the time because I just wasn't ready for IVF you know it just was such an emotional and like I don't know just a real there was a barrier about it um I say that not because but from a background of an incredibly fertile family. (laughs) I'm one of four, all of my sisters have got little ones, etc, etc. So rolling very quickly on, it took seven years for us to have our little one. And from that first round of IVF um, at Homerton, we got pregnant and sadly Miscarried. We found out a kind of six, I think it was like an eight week scan. Um, we did two frozen transfers that summer and they were both BFNs, big fat negatives, if you're new here. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had another um, round of IVF, which resulted in another miscarriage. We then took a break about two years actually because we had we were just at rock bottom and we really needed to rebuild and get back to who we were, never mind the idea of bringing someone else into the world. Um, and then we had another round of NHS treatment, it was a bit round and about because we moved and things, which resulted in a BFN again. And we had said three rounds and you're out, but after that one, I just wasn't ready. I was 39 years old. We decided to take our folder to our um, to a private gynecologist who was a friend of my aunt's. And she'd been saying to me for two years, please, please, please go and see him. And she paid for the consulta- consultation. She was amazing. And he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing massively here, um, you've got one more round in you and then you need to go to donor eggs if you want to carry on trying like this. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And we thought, right, we're going to do it. And we had that round, which was delayed initially, but that was fine. Not very fine at the time. Um, And we got our embryo and we just transferred one embryo on the 24th of September 2018. Sticks in my mind also because my 40th birthday was the 27th, so days later. Um, So that was a very sober 40th for me and my two week wait. And then we found out we were pregnant. And I will tell you more about the pregnancy story afterwards. But I hope that, was, that wasn't quite as much yeah. as I was planning. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think, you know, I've been lucky enough to not to so far not have been affected by infertility issues. But through speaking to people on the podcast and the, the baby loss community journey on Instagram, I've, you know, followed the story of many people who have been affected. And, you know, it's really broadened my awareness of like how big a deal it is and and as you say just going through IVF everything that is involved in that um and you know I think that Instagram hashtag of infertility warrior is most definitely earned by anyone who's who's kind of going through that right now um so my own experience is quite different so I'm hoping we have a a bit of a contrast here in terms of this episode so as I mentioned (laughs) touchwood I was touchwood we have been incredibly lucky to be able to get pregnant quite easily which is something I am I am definitely grateful for and do not take for granted at all um sadly our first child our daughter guy died unexpectedly in May last year at 26 weeks gestation following a very normal low risk pregnancy as it often is. Um, And although we don't have a firm reason why she died, the postmortem report did show that she was growth restricted, so it was likely to do with issues with my placenta. And as we probably touch on a bit later, knowing that has been both a a bit of a blessing and a curse during my current pregnancy. So at the time we're recording this, um, which is probably some weeks before the episode goes out, I'm about halfway through the third trimester of my pregnancy with my hopefully fingers crossed rainbow baby so that's a kind of brief whistle stop overview of our stories let's let's start by going back to the beginning then what were your initial feelings like on finding out you were pregnant with Ren and join those first few
1: weeks um so we woke up at about three o'clock in the morning on test day and did a test and the line was there but it was very faint which at three o'clock in the morning, I wasn't about to go to the supermarket and get another test. And I did only have, I'm not one of these serial testers, you know, I never have been. So I just had one test in the cupboard, uh, which our clinic had given us. So we had to wait until our clinic opened and we called them and said, look, we want to come in for a beta test. So we did came home and they're about 45 an hour away. Um, came home watched sex in the city my my decision i remember just sitting there watching the movies all the way through um waiting for the call and when they called and said yes you know you're pregnant the elation was just immense but it didn't last that long unfortunately because of what we've been through before because even though i talk mm-hmm. about it so you know, quickly and it does kind of roll off the tongue now. This is my as some people call it a fertility resume, you know, it's like it's (laughs) terrible. It's Um, my C (laughs) V. Exactly. But obviously there's a hell of a lot that went with that that, you know, at the time was just heartbreaking and heart wrenching, etc. So It was, yeah, it was amazing, but it was actually petrifying. And I was really worried. And I remember, so I think our first scan with the clinic was about seven weeks. And bearing in mind when you know you're about Five weeks pregnant, aren't you? I think, give or take. And I called the EPU, which is where I had experienced both of my miscarriages previously. And I was just in tears on the phone to them saying, please, I need to come in for a scan. I need to come in for a scan. I just can't wait another week. And at the time I wasn't really that aware of the private scan situation, although I very quickly got up to date with that because I did <laughs> end up having about ten scans some NHS some private some my fertility clinic by the time I was about sixteen weeks so but there's mm-hmm. other reasons that that was the case as well, which we will go into um, but yeah, so elation but fear as well
0: yeah because you know you've you've been through you 've been in this position a few times and I guess you know there's like no there's no certainty of the outcome. Um, did you have in your head a sort of at this point, a kind of if we get to X point, I will feel better about
1: this? Oh, it's a good question. I suppose if you'd asked me at the time, what I really wanted to do was get past where we had got to before, which for us was fairly early. It was kind of six weeks, eight weeks, that kind of thing. Um But, yeah, I guess that that probably – and then you have that 12 weeks in your head, don't you, as well, because that's the kind of standard. And they do say, you know, that the rate of miscarriage drops – significantly after 12 weeks so it is it's yeah. a nice place to be the trouble is you get there and then you want to be at the next milestone but anyway yes
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and I guess the, the thing with um I guess when you're you're going through IVF is is you kind of have this definite date when you're going to find out kind of one way or the other whereas with us it was it was more a case of you know I guess the the kind of normal inadvertent commas normal pregnancy route of you know seeing what happens is your period a bit late and then and then kind of doing a test and it was so our finding out we were pregnant was actually a bit of a mixed experience because I kind of got to the stage where I thought oh I might be pregnant I have this thing my this is my husband's theory is I always start snoring when I'm pregnant and literally before I've even done pregnancy test like so he had thought because I've been snoring for a few days oh she must be pregnant hadn't done a test hadn't, hadn't even got up to like my sort of date for my period as it were um, and I'd actually had a blood test for uh, a sort of blood clotting disorder called antiphospholipid syndrome a week or before on the advice of uh, a sort of Tommy's consultant we saw and I actually so I remember getting that blood test result back on the Monday and the doctor calling me and saying okay this test is positive we need to do another test in three months um and, and then we can say sort of whether or not you've got this condition. And I immediately went to the the consultant who we'd seen the, the, the sort of Tommy's clinic and, and said, what do I do with this? And he was like, well, I'd advise probably, you know, pregnancy can affect the results. So stop trying for a couple of months, um, see what the blood test says. And then, you know, you can go full steam ahead or, you know, we'll deal with that. And literally the next day I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. (laughs) So I was excited and also incredibly anxious. I had this kind of roller coaster going on because I was like, what on earth does this mean? What do we do now? You know, I don't know if I've got this condition or not got this condition or what it means. So there was definitely, for me, it it wasn't quite, yeah, it wasn't straightforward. There was definitely some initial anxieties around that, that sort of initial pregnancy test. Um, And I guess, you know, you were, you've been part of the infertility community for quite a while and, you know, your friends and family know what you've been through. How did that affect when you chose to tell people about your pregnancy? And was that different from the previous times
1: you'd been pregnant? So, as you say, I have been really open about this. The first two times that we were pregnant, I wasn't on social media. So, I, you know, it was, we had told friends and family immediately. uh, People knew. Uh, I hadn't told work about the IVF at that point. For, For the first three transfers, work didn't know. For the next transfer, I wasn't actually working because I'd left work because my mental health suffered significantly following um, the rounds and and losses. But with this round, well, actually with the round before, so I did end 2017, beginning of 2018, I did share quite a lot on social media, but for this round, I didn't share as much. So I told people it was happening, but what I ended up doing was kind of going through a few stages And then giving a little bit of an update rather than, you know, updating and doing a post. This is how many we've got. This is how many follicles. This is how many eggs, etc., etc., When we got pregnant, because previous rounds, we had been at a clinic where, well, one previous round, um, we had been at a clinic where they did the beta test. So that's your test to check your HCG level to see if you're pregnant or not. And what happens with that, for those who, who may not know this, is it's supposed to double or thereabouts. I think it's double every two days. So you have a test one day and then you go back a couple of days and they can see what your number is. And that kind of gives you an indication about what the pregnancy is doing in the initial stages. And w- with our second round, which was our second miscarriage, we um, knew that our number was really low to start with. And then when we went back, and we're actually there, we went back every day, I think it was, um, we could see that the numbers really weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So for this round, when we got our beta test, which I have no idea what the number is, some people just like retain all of that information. I'd like to be calling my clinic saying, please, can you remind me? Um but two days later, we would we said, look, we want to come back. We want to see whether or not this the numbers are going the right way. And they did. We had told our friends or our family and close friends, probably straight away, that we were pregnant, but with this caveat. And um, then once we got that confirmation that it was looking really good, that's when I shared on social media. And I will never forget that. The Because I was really nervous about it. You know, I've been at the tail end of those sensitive posts and it hurts. It doesn't matter how vocal you are about it. Some days you can take it and some days it's like, you know, a kick to the stomach. Um, So, yeah, I was really a bit apprehensive, but the response was just amazing. Just so supportive. And I remember calling my husband and him saying, oh, my God, I'm crying too, reading all the messages. It was just (laughs) amazing. It really was. Yeah.
0: And I, cause it, so interestingly, so with my first pregnancy, when I was pregnant with Skye, I was, I was very paranoid about, about miscarriage and about that kind of first three months, which which seems silly now in retrospect, cause I know what can happen after three months, but we, we didn't even tell our parents until after we'd had that first kind of 12 week or 13 week scan. And this time around, I, I kind of had a really different approach to it. I think I still think I kind of had this idea in my head I was like oh well we might not get to bring this baby home we might miscarry whatever but I kind of wanted some support there in case that did happen and particularly because we had this whole kind of um blood test pregnancy thing going on at the same time I mean I literally that I had a couple of friends who I told immediately because I was just kind of I, I just was in this panic and space in my head and I just had to kind of tell someone or talk to someone about it um so I needed to get that off my chest. Um and at the same time I didn't want to worry my family about that until we'd actually got more answers in terms of this sort of whole APS question. Um and then I think we told our pa- uh our families, our parents, after we'd had the initial scan at seven weeks. So we did wait a little bit. I think I, I still had that kind of paranoia, um, but it was still sort of much earlier than with Sky. And we we told a sort of few other people around that time, but then I actually <sighs> I wasn't really open with it until hitting my third trimester after that point, <laughs> which is, I know, is a massive gap. And you go through all these kind of milestones of, like, the 12-week scan and then the 20-week scan. And I think because we lost Guy at sort of 26 weeks, that was also a kind of trigger point date in my head. And then we had a few things that happened around that point, um, which I'll come on to. Um, and, yeah, and, and also I think it was – it was easy for me to do that because we were in a lockdown bubble for most of that period. And I do think that that has obviously sort of positively and negatively affected sort of my my experience of pregnancy after loss. Um, and one of the positive things was That I didn't have to worry so much about telling people. Um, We actually had Zoom conversations with some friends, like a quiz, a weekly quiz, from when I was 16 weeks pregnant until I was 29 weeks when I finally admitted, and they never guessed because the video is
1: obviously we just head and shoulders, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's okay. You know, we tell when we it feels right to us. The only kind of comment i would say to anyone on that is it is really hard at the beginning you know especially if you've well especially if you've had ivf i guess because like you say you do know so much earlier perhaps um but it's hard for everyone if they've been through something that is making their current pregnancy an anxious one and there's this whole thing about the 12 weeks and you don't talk to people but that's almost when you need the most support like that is unfortunately when we are most at risk you know and it's also when things like being at work so in a non-lockdown situation we need these risk risk assessments we need to be able to go and be sick in a toilet without any questions if if we're dealing with morning sickness you know so that would be my only like do whatever is right for you but know that you know if that support is there that might make especially that initial bit a little bit easier
0: Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. And I think, I think if I hadn't have had a couple of other people who I'd met through the community who were also going through pregnancy after loss, and kind of, I could have some of those conversations with. um, And I think also, because I I was quite conscious of having this podcast, and, uh, and that kind of, you know, did influence things in terms of kind of when I kind of wanted to open up, I didn't, it sounds awful I didn't want to rub it in anyone's face as you say you know this is this is a podcast about baby loss and the stories about you know children and legacy and and yes it does cover pregnancy after loss but I know from my own experience that seeing those posts can be can be quite painful as well as sometimes being hopeful so there are definitely two sides to that but yeah I think and and I think just the fact that I kind of told people so much sooner this time and I think again if I was you know hopefully maybe in the future i able to get pregnant again then yeah I think that 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 12-week rule is is going out the window <laughs> um so those first few months must have been incredibly hard for you how how were they and how anxious were you generally sort of during your pregnancy
1: so I went into this round of IVF with a quote that I had heard an embryologist say like a year, two years before, I'm not sure. And it was if an embryo is going to stick, it's going to stick. And that was kind of my attitude going into that round of IVF. It was our one for luck and and it stuck. And that was amazing. So I think as much as possible, I really tried to believe in the pregnancy. But obviously I was massively scared. <laughs> and and I think and something I learned during the pregnancy was, you know, you have these scan dates in And I think the closer I got to a scan date, the more scared I got, the more anxious I got. So actually what we ended up doing with our private scans anyway, was we'd leave it as long as we could. And then we'd think, oh, you know what? I just need to see the baby. I just need to see. And then we'd book one in for as quickly as possible afterwards, whether that be the same day or the next day. Uh, And that's how I kind of managed that anxiety. Because in the scan and like, you know, for a little while afterwards, you feel a bit more buoyant and confident about it. And then slowly that kind of trails off. What happened with us, which through um, a huge spanner in the works just feels like a massive, ridiculous thing to say. But anyway, um, a huge setback for us was that we transferred one embryo. When we went to our EPU and had that six, seven week scan, we were expecting twins. And so our embryo, our embryo split it actually just makes me feel quite emotional even now um and and I was in tears getting onto that table to have that scan I was like just mm-hmm. tell me there's a heartbeat that's all I need to know you know then you crack on with whatever you need to do but and they were like yeah there's a heartbeat yeah there's two heartbeats and we were just blown away with shock like terrified <laughs> for a whole different <laughs> number of reasons like I have yeah. got like huge huge credit for for people who have multiple births and and multiple children all at the same time it is just mind blowing like i needed a bigger car we need a bigger house we need more like how are we were actually my arms? exactly exactly <laughs> where are the high chairs you know it was just like oh my god this is a whole new thing that we had never even considered especially because we transferred one now unfortunately what happened is we both babies were growing really well they were and i can't remember what the wording is now But they were um, the best twins that you can have uh, with regards to safety. They both had their own placentas and they both had their own amniotic sacs. So this is the safest version of twins that you can get. But unfortunately, between week nine and 10, and we know that because we had a scan at week nine and at week 10, um, twin A um, stopped growing. So that was like such a huge setback. Like number one, because I was just starting to feel a bit more confident in this pregnancy. We'd yeah. got heartbeats. So we'd got past where we'd gone before, you know, we were heading towards this 12 weeks and everything was looking really good. Um, and hearing that was just a bolt from the, we did not expect it. Absolutely did not expect it because we've been told, you know, safest twins, etc. And, What happens, well, what happened to me when I was told this is then you spend a lot of time, but particularly the few days afterwards and on that day, just trying to manage the complex emotions around, wow, I'm exactly where I want to be. I have got a healthy baby growing inside me and that is just incredible, next to... I miscarried a baby, you know, and like, it's just a really, and I remember crying on my sister's doorstep because I carried on, me and my husband kind of went our separate ways because we had plans for that day because we weren't expecting anything wrong. And I was with my sister and I did end up saying, look, I just need to go home and be with Bob after this. Um, but you try and be strong, don't you? I don't know why. Like I should have <laughs> just gone home with him in the first place. Ridiculous. But I do remember standing on her doorstep, just crying and just saying, why has it got to be so hard like I am exactly where I want to be and yet I've just I've just lost a baby you know it was it was horrible
0: but yeah and I think you say you're exactly where you want to be and you are but but I think the thing is as soon as you saw that second heartbeat on the screen where you wanted to be changed you know as soon as you saw those two babies it was like right it's weird isn't it because it's like you don't want to be greedy but I've got two babies now. I want to bring them both home. Yeah. This this is
1: what our novel is. This is this is what we're aiming for. Absolutely. And like in a really kind of a flippant way of thinking about it, you know, that was our fertility done. Brilliant. We were bringing home two babies. That was our family. We were out of here, you know, and which I'm sure did cross my mind. Maybe that's something retrospectively that I've kind of invented, but I'm sure, you know, I, that would be it, you know, and I'm, I'm still, we're still dealing with the repercussions of that now because we think, you know, are we going to have another baby? But I think if, if we'd had twins, like we wouldn't be having these conversations, but yeah, it was just. We didn't tell anyone about the twins. That's one thing. So going back to like whether, you know, when you tell people Mm. and what you tell, we told our family and I was so excited. That was just the best moment, actually. Like we were at one of my other sister's baby showers and I hadn't told anyone and all my family were there. And so I told my dad on the way down to it, actually. Um, or the day before I don't know Um, but I had my sisters and my mum around me and I showed them the video of the twins heartbeats, and it was just like so special and it's a bit I guess like it makes me think of something that I say often to people who are pregnant after infertility and loss and sorry I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit Um, but I often say that the way that I experienced it was Trying to enjoy as much of that pregnancy as I could, because if it all went wrong tomorrow and, you know, I found out I was losing the baby, I, I, it, it, I wasn't going to fall any harder because I had told people or I'd enjoyed it you know, actually, you know, it was going to be devastating and heartbreaking, whatever happened. And, and thinking about that now, like it's so true in that experience, because that was such a precious moment that I had because I was enjoying it. And even though, you know, that wasn't the case longer term that we were going to have the twins, no one can ever take that moment away from me, you know, and that was really, really special. But yeah, when I did, I did eventually share on Instagram. Um, and the support was incredible. And I think it happens more than we know. I think within the fertility community, because we have scans so much earlier, we probably know more that that's the mm-hmm. case. Um, but one of the things, and I'll be quiet in a second, I promise. One of the things <laughs> that I was really worried about, which might sound silly to some people was about our daughter. Cause we knew we were having a girl pretty soon after that, if not, um, well, maybe it was a little while after that, but we know that she's here now. She's a daughter. <laughs> um, but I was Jack. really worried. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was really worried that she would be lonely because you often hear with twins, you know, how close their relationship is. And if God forbid, you know, even for 90 year olds, you know, you lose a twin and that's like losing an arm. And I was really worried that that was going to affect her already because they were identical twins and that kind of thing. And someone reached out to me and said that they were that surviving twin. And it has never affected them in their life, which really I just I like to tell people that in case someone has been in that situation and, and felt like it is a silly thing to say, because I kind of wondered if it was. And it's not silly. Um, but, you know, I was really grateful for this person for reaching out to me and, and letting me know that, um, that yeah, it wasn't something that affected them long term so or at all, really
0: yeah and I think there's one thing I've learned it's if you're thinking this silly question in averted commas, there is someone else thinking that as well yeah so much that and so did you like because you said you sort of had extra scans private scans were most of those during that kind of first half of your pregnancy or sort of was there any point in which you kind of started to, to relax a little bit
1: so I think the majority of them were initially, I remember we had our 16 week midwife appointment and that was kind of between Christmas and new year. And my bump was showing by then, which I was quite protective over. Like it all is all very kind of clear in my mind because it was over Christmas and my, all my family were up that day and they were kind of come and show us, show us. And I just felt really, I almost, I guess that I didn't, perhaps I wasn't ready to admit that I was pregnant still. I just felt really protective over it. And it, it, could have still been a Christmas dinner at this point. But actually, no, I think it was it was starting to feel a bit more full round and a bit more pregnancy. Um, we had a, a scan booked in for the next day, actually. And I remember that because the midwife said that they can't always get the heartbeat at that point. And when we said we've got a scan the next day, she said, don't worry. Let, let's not worry about the heart, you know, kind of listening to the heartbeat. Let's You've got a scan tomorrow. That will be fine. Um, so and then after that, I don't remember really having any private scans. We did have one at 18 weeks with our consultant um, because of the twin situation. We couldn't do any harmony testing or anything. So um, we did have a conversation with our consultant about whether or not we were going to have um, an amnio. So we went in and had a chat with our consultant about whether or not we were going to do that. And we had a really thorough scan and we made our decision. As soon as we saw her on the screen, to be honest, we were like, no, we can't risk that. Like it's a one in a hundred. And, you know, we had done so much research before and, and there is, so no judgment for anyone who goes ahead with it you know 100% do what's right for you and we had done so much research before and felt really confident in the fact that we were actually going to do it but when it came to it we decided against it and that was also Mm -hmm. weighed up with the fact that we had had a head-to-toe kind of a real um scan like an anomaly scan it's called isn't it um so yeah but after and then around 18 weeks I started feeling the movements so again you know, and I was really lucky. I always feel so bad for people who have gone through so much and then have an anterior placenta so they don't feel as much. I'm just like, oh, my God, as if we need that on top of everything else. But I was very lucky and that wasn't the case. And, yeah, like, especially if I had a can of Fanta. <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> yes. Ren was oh, dancing okay. away. Exactly. <laughs> Ren loved it. So, um, yeah, that that once we got to those stages, I did feel much more confident for sure.
0: Yeah, so it, yeah, interestingly, so our, our kind of experiences are a bit reversed then. So I think, I mean, I, I definitely remember having a bit of a fatalist attitude sort of during, I think, the first few weeks. For some reason, I'd convinced myself that the way it was going to happen was we've had our stillbirth, we were then going to have a miscarriage. And then third time lucky, we would have our rainbow. And I've no idea where that came from, or why I thought that or whether it was just that kind of protective mechanism during, you know, those kind of initial stages of sort of pregnancy after loss. But I sort of had this in in my head. And, and honestly, my and my my kind of approach then was like, well, I'm I was worried about it, but I'm going to try and not, well, I said, I'm not going to try and not worry about it, but I kept going through scenarios in my head of what happens if I have a miscarriage here, what happens if I have it? And it's ridiculous. But, um, and I think that must've been my kind of subconscious, basically kind of processing, you know, the, the anxiety that I was feeling at that point. Um, and we did because, because we, um, had been lucky enough to sort of see the the sort of Tommy's Rainbow Clinic. So I should probably mention that we self-referred to that um, before we were starting to try for a baby. They have a Rainbow Clinic in Manchester, and there are also Rainbow Clinics at different hospitals around the country. And we had a sort of preconception appointment just to talk through Sky's sort of post-mortem report and anything else we needed to do. Um, And because we'd been there and because we sort of had this blood test scare, we then got that kind of early seven-week scan and then I think when I, I, I actually waited for a while before doing my booking in appointment and then my midwife couldn't see me a few for a few weeks. So that ended up being quite late. And she just booked me another random scan to go into the EPU and just have another scan and see about nine weeks. That was great. And then we had our sort of dating scan. Um, so I, we did end up having quite a few scans, I guess, up until 20 weeks, Um and one thing that has really, I think, saved my anxiety <laughs> during, or has, has been really helpful in terms of managing anxiety is we, so we ended up, we could have gone back to the Rainbow Clinic in Manchester, but there is actually one in Leeds, which is much closer to us. And so we got referred to that and we had a scan there around 15 weeks um with and it's run by a fetal medicine consultant and the the sort of bereavement midwife at Leeds both of whom are called Tracy <laughs> and they are fantastic um and it's just it's, it's an amazing amazing service you know because they understand you know all your concerns in terms of sort of pregnancy after loss and we were able to have that sort of early appointment and then the plan was that we would have another appointment at 22 weeks um and then maybe sort of every 4 weeks so that the general plan was I had sort of have scans every 4 weeks uh, growth scans because of what had happened with sky because she was growth restricted so i think sort of that first part of the trimester i remember feeling really anxious sort of around between that probably 12 to 18 weeks i think before i felt the movements and i was cuz i hadn't really felt that many movements with sky and that was quite a big deal for me cuz i i kind of felt you know, I, I didn't feel these movements because I didn't really feel her kicking that much because there was a problem and I didn't realise there was a problem. So fortunately, this this baby has been super active. Definitely, you know, a little dancer or rugby player or whatever is is in there. Um, and and I found that so reassuring. But I think there's that early time, isn't there, when, you, when they kind of kick a bit, but then you don't feel it all the time and you have a couple of days in between and it's a little bit a little bit more uncertain so I struggled with that but once I got those those regular kicks in and actually for me the kind of I guess the the sort of worry time was actually coming up to around the gestation that Sky died so that was around the 25 or 6 week period and that was actually exacerbated in our situation because we had a bit of a scare around that period um, we had a growth scan and the umbilical do- umbilical Doppler readings came back as being um, sort of over the 95th centile, so slightly high. I've since become an expert in umbilical Doppler readings as you do when something like this happens to you. Um, and, and basically we, so so we had um, a scan at the, the hospital was sort of due to deliver at and then uh, went into Leeds to have one a few days later, and and they were both high. And and essentially, what we got told at that point was this is likely to be indicative of a problem with the placenta again. And at that point, it was this could go one of few ways. Either they could come down, which is the good, the what you want to see. They could stay consistent. Or they could go up, or the, the flow, the sort of diastolic flow could stop or reverse. And that is that's the imminent stillbirth danger effect in, in effect. So we were kind of in this situation where, you know, we thought we were getting up to this point and getting past this point where we were not safe. And I don't think we would ever feel completely safe through the pregnancy, but I think getting back to that point was a milestone. And we'd effectively been told that potentially this baby has the same issue <laughs> as our baby who died had and that was that was really hard and i think my husband was super stressed about it but weirdly i i kind of had this odd acceptance and i don't know if it was just that i was pushing these emotions aside but like you said i i basically came out of that appointment and i resolved i was like right maybe this baby won't make it but I'm going to enjoy every moment I have with this baby. And I think those, like the sort of two weeks, um, because after that, the, the, basically what's happened, to cut a long story short, is the, the readings have still stayed high, but they have kind of stabilised. So, or they have been stable and growth is continuing. Okay, so everything looks okay, apart from these these high readings, um, which has necessitated many, many scans, like twice weekly scans um, for the certainly most of the past few months, which has been has its stresses. But I think for those two weeks, it's probably the most kind of bonded and connected I've felt with this baby almost throughout the whole pregnancy. Because I was like, right, I'm gonna take this opportunity. And then, you know, as time's gone on, work and things have crept back in, and I've probably not been, you know, as good or as close about that as I wanted to. But yeah, I think I think I definitely kind of tried to have that that same
1: attitude. In terms of making the most of whatever time we get. And it comes and goes, you know, you don't feel like that all the time, do you? But Mm. I think it's just sometimes, especially when you can get totally lost and wow, you know, that's so much that you have been going through. And I totally understand why suddenly that is going to bring back so much of your previous experience and just like it would floor me, I think. Um, But it is, you know, so there are times where we just, we can't deal with that. But if we can, Mm -hmm. if we can ground ourselves and bring ourselves back to the moment, and just kind of, yeah, like actually, as it happens today, (laughs) I have, you know, put on my Instagram a pregnancy affirmation, you know, like today, I am pregnant, it's just reminding ourselves of that. And when we can, like really celebrate that and enjoy Mm -hmm. it as much as possible. Yeah, and I think
0: certainly, sort of, as I kind of got into the third trimester and then started, you know, birth was looming on the horizon. Um, And I started looking at hypnobirthing things and tracks. And I've actually found those affirmations really kind of helpful as well in terms of, yeah, in terms of just kind of helping me to relax and focus on kind of what's important and yeah. And focusing on that. Um, One thing that a lot of the people I've spoken to about pregnancy after infertility or loss have mentioned is that feeling that you've been robbed of the chance to have again inverted commas normal pregnancy and I think that's the you know that's the kind of naive bliss and enjoyment of those milestones and activities that perhaps people who haven't experienced infertility or loss take for granted and I've certainly felt that perhaps there's a bit of a grieving process around that and about not being able to have that experience did you find that and were there any particular times or occasions which exacerbated that feeling of perhaps being different to other mothers I think that
1: absolutely I felt that you know um but turning it on its head it's about really celebrating you know I I it it was really bloody hard to get pregnant you know and it was Mm -hmm. The worst few years of our lives. However, out of that, I've got this incredible community that I am part of. And I remember people coming to me when I was pregnant and saying, you know, I'm pregnant. And and this is kind of from the Instagram community. I'm pregnant. And I've really withdrawn from my Instagram. Like I used to post on it all the time when I was trying to conceive, but now I don't want to upset other people who are trying to conceive because I've been there and I've seen those sensitive posts. And I think that was really hard. So it wasn't so much the, the missing out on other things because it had been so long that I guess I'd come to terms with that, but it was hard to not share and continue to share. And also, you know, people were saying, you know, where's, where's the support? I haven't got any support and this is really difficult Mm -hmm. and I'm stressed and I'm anxious and I'm worried and, and I don't know where to turn. And, and that was, that was me. And so that was, that was a really difficult thing. And I found that, and it's the reason why, you know, and probably one of the reasons our paths of crossed is because, um, I set up my podcast, you know, because there isn't, or there wasn't any support at that point that I could find for people who were finally pregnant after infertility and loss. And I wanted to make sure that actually that wasn't something that wasn't the case for much longer. And I, I think that that gave me I ended up doing it in the last 6 weeks of my pregnancy and I think it gave me a real focus and I could enjoy talking to other people who were pregnant and and learn and support and chat to them and and I think that that you know yes I missed out on some things but because of my experience I have done things that I would never have done before you know and mm-hmm. I've got people around me who I you know wouldn't have had before and things are different and that's 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 okay, really. And the thing that I come back to, and me and my husband say this all the time, um, you know, if it was different, it wouldn't be Ren, you know? Mm. And, that, and and I adore my daughter. She is just the best thing in the world. And yes, I wish that she was eight by now, or not eight. It wouldn't be quite like that. <laughs> She'd be about six. Um, I wish that she was six, but it would have been a different baby. And so mm. it's just the way that, it, you know, I can I can get upset and annoyed, but, but she's Ren, and that's the best thing. And I'm lucky I can sit here and say this, you know, she's she's with us. She's 15 months old. She's just. Um, but that that's how I feel about it.
0: Yeah. And I think and and my, I think my experience has been, again, kind of affected by COVID and lockdown, because a lot of the things which I'd have perhaps normally done or considered doing, such as antenatal classes, pregnancy yoga, et cetera, have either I've either done virtually or not at all. And it's not the same environment you know if you're if you're doing a class virtually it's not the same as being you know face to face with people you don't necessarily have those same conversations so you know those those kind of questions about is this your first blah 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 don't necessarily um come up and i think you know and there's definitely a downside to that in terms of meeting other mums i think and and sort of which which every every pregnant woman is probably feeling at the moment in terms of that isolation Um, and I, I guess it kind of has been an upside in terms of that I've been sheltered from from meeting other pregnant women. But to be honest, I don't I don't find that hugely difficult, um, or, or I don't think I would have done. I don't know because I haven't been in that situation. And and also, you know, we've been really cautious and uh, possibly a little bit paranoid about generally interacting with society because of you know the COVID risk and and pretty much lockdown ending just as just before I was about to go into that sort of third trimester period and now you know getting towards the end of pregnancy you know the last thing we want is to catch something and having to isolate for for 14 days when I've got hospital appointments every week and, and that kind of thing so yeah i feel i think for me actually i think the hardest thing has been feeling that people like my my friends who aren't in the baby loss community don't really understand what pregnancy after loss is like and and either people haven't really taught have have not really been asking about the pregnancy at all, or you know they've occasionally been really excited. Or I, I you know I tell them they're pregnant and then there's this oh that's amazing congratulations we're so happy for you and I'm kind of like well yes that's great and I'm you know I'm really pleased that you are happy and we are also really really happy and, and feel really lucky to be in this situation. But there's all these other emotions going around this and this is not an easy experience for me to be going through and and I think actually what it comes down to is that you you can't really understand that unless you have been through that yourself it's like it's like that kind of isolation and grief you get after you've had a loss perhaps after you've lost a baby which you know it's a kind of a journey you have to you can get support but you have to kind of walk it on your own to some extent um so I think, I think for me, that's been the kind of hardest bit of that, the sort of the, the grief around not having that normal pregnancy.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And just kind of to talk on two points that you mentioned there, like firstly, when you get pregnant after infertility in particular, and possibly this is this case for kind of loss in isolation, as in kind of because I've got both of them on my resume um (laughs) but I think well I know that people think oh you're pregnant problem solved right let's move Mm -hmm. on everything's normal now and that isn't the case and but exactly like you said and I think it takes a big person to kind of admit that and realize that and just deal with that and kind of forgive people for their just complete ignorance and naivety um it's it yeah it just is it's it's still hard. It's really, really bloody hard because it's ultimately the next step in your fertility journey. That's mm-hmm. how I saw it. Um, and then the other point about COVID, like you are so right. And I run a community now called The Hangout for people who are finally pregnant after infertility and loss. And it sounds absurd even now to say that a few months ago, people were nervous that they weren't even going to be able to get a uh, um, uh, car seat to bring their babies home from hospital because everything was shut down. And especially if people are listening to this kind of months and years and a, later, you know, it does sound completely absurd, but you're totally right. Like everyone was, you, you, you're in a place where finally you can enjoy all the things that you've wanted to do. And even though you're really scared, you want to do them. And that was it. The world was shut down. So you couldn't do pregnancy classes. You couldn't do, you know, buy a Car seat to bring your baby home. You, you know, like do you bulk buy because when you can see it, when you can actually find some vests and some baby grows, or do you just not do it because you don't want to jinx the pregnancy, which I have a whole different kind of thing around? Um, but yeah, like there's so much, and going to scans on your own, you know, and partners not being able to be there, like that has brought an entirely new level of complexity, which I suspect, even though we are now out of lockdown mostly you know is still going to have a bit of a lasting impact on 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 people's pregnancies because much the same as I look back on things and think oh you know like we all do it don't we oh I wish Mm. it had been like this I wish it had been like that and we can you know tell ourselves you know that this is okay this is our journey this is the path that we were supposed to take this is how it is ultimately there's nothing Mm. we can do about it but it doesn't mean exactly like you say that there isn't a different type of grief that we've had to deal with during that time
0: yeah, and I think, you know, and I know from speaking to other mums who've been pregnant after loss during this period, you know, you, you've you hit the nail on the head there. And particularly, I think those scans and and things like, you know, if you're feeling uneasy and you have to go into the Matenti Assessment Centre or Matenti Assessment Unit and, you know, you just need to check those movements, you know, I mean we actually chose to go to a different hospital to the one we had sky in and part of that was so that I did not have to go back into that into that maternity assessment unit but people other people don't have that choice and you know people going back into that situation and not even being able to have their you know being able to have their partner by their side and I feel I feel like for, for partners they've really you know you've really missed out i mean my husband has been to every single scan and sat in the car outside working and we have had a, Hell of a lot of scams by this point because of the issues I mentioned. Um, and we did he, he managed to get smuggled into one. We managed to get him smuggled into one of them we're not gonna tell anyone, don't wish. No, <laughs> yeah, between us. But, and, and some hospitals are allowing that now, but um, but there are still a lot that aren't. And and equally, you know, if you're if you're going in and it's kind of leaders us on to birth a bit, if you're going in to give birth, there are still restrictions around that in in a lot of hospitals. And I think, kind of sort of segueing nicely into that nice next segment. <laughs> I think there's also perhaps a lot of people, or maybe not a lot of people, actually, because I think it depends on the circumstances you're coming from your background. For example, I know, um, you know, I've been sort of following a few threads on the sands forum and and sort of interacting with people on that and there there are people who have you know lost their babies at full term their babies have died at full term or during labor and that is you know i that is very much a that that kind of endpoint, and they have mostly decided to be either induced or have an elective c-section at an earlier date so they don't have to get to that point point. Um, And that is the you know, that's the right decision for them. But I know that I think one of the the things that I felt a bit of grief around is losing out on those plans of of a kind of ideal birth. Now, I went into this pregnancy and I was like, okay, so when I had Sky, I was obviously induced because um, and, and it was an early induction. It wasn't a full term induction. And you know, I really wanted from this pregnancy, obviously the priority is that baby comes home alive. And that that's number one, you know, no question. But I also the, you know, a selfish bit of me wanted the positive birth experience that I didn't get last time. And for me, personally, that was, you know, going into labor naturally, ideally having the option of a water birth. Um, you know, I was still going to go to hospital. I, I wasn't quite ready to have a home birth given our sort of previous experience, but but it was that kind of natural labor. And, and because of the sort of situation we've got now, we're probably looking at a, at an early induction. And I found I have got my head around that now. And and it, it took me a few weeks to, I guess, really accept that and kind of let go of, of that kind of natural process I wanted. I also probably won't really be able to have a kind of a, a water birth and and again, I got quite angry with a friend of mine who I thought I think I put up a sort of flippant remark at some point on Instagram about saying I, I wouldn't be allowed a water birth. And they immediately jumped in with, Well, you, you know, you can push back. It's not, you know, no one can tell you what to do. And I, I kind of felt a bit angry because I was like, I, I know that is the case. And I know that, you know, you know, I could choose if I wanted to to not go for an induction and to to wait. But I think when you're pregnant after loss, you always have that at the back of your mind that you don't want to go against what the experts are saying. You know, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing, you know, you've been on the wrong side of statistics before. And if they are telling you that this this could be a chance that by delaying things, you know, your baby could be more likely to struggle during labor or, you know, a die. then, then that is a really strong driver in terms of your own decision making. So I was just wondering how your experience affected your approach to planning Wren's birth and the, the choices you made around that.
1: Yeah, and I, I can totally understand what you're saying there. Because even though it, it was out of COVID, like I had Wren last June 2019. So we didn't have that. But because I'm old, apparently. <laughs> oh, I'm trying not to admit it to myself. You're you only know. as old as you feel, well, like, um, <laughs> which can sometimes be quite awesome. Well, <laughs> um, but, you know, I was 40 when I had Wren, so I wasn't given the option of home birth. I wasn't given an option of the birthing centre. I was told you are going straight to induction and, and delivery suite, done. And so I, all of those thoughts and, and aspirations and hopes and dreams that I might have had for any other type of birth were... Just removed just because it had taken me so bloody long to get there. Um, so, like I say, different reasons, but same similar situations. My take on it all really was I just want her here, he- happy and healthy. I didn't have a huge like i suppose i went into it just knowing that i was going to be flexible i did want to try for a natural i don't know actually let me say that again i did want to try for a vaginal birth because i feel really strongly now that you know like a birth is a birth whether it is vaginal or abdominal um and i did want to try for a vaginal birth and i think that for me that was a hang up with the fertility because my body was just rubbish at getting pregnant and it couldn't do it on its own even with loads and loads of help it you know eventually it happened and I it, would, it had carried my baby and I was delighted. But I was I suppose when I'm making these decisions, I'm still kind of not sure if it's going to kind of all the way. And I guess I just wanted it to almost prove itself. I, I wanted to, you know, to, to do it kind of the way it's supposed to be you know but I say that very loosely honestly but we had so and they told me I was being induced I like that was the recommendation completely like you I didn't want to go against what they said and um but what I'd said was because of experience in my family so all of my nieces and nephews on my side of the family have been born by c-section or abdominal birth and at least one of them it's been for different reasons, but t- certainly two have been um, because of failure to progress. And I don't know if that's a hereditary thing or if that's something, you know, if it happens, to, I'm, I'm not sure. I probably looked into it at the time. But ultimately, I was very conscious of that. And I didn't want that to be the case. So what we had discussed was, we're going to be induced. But if nothing's happening within 48 hours, then I was going to go for a cesarean. And I was totally fine with that, you know, and as it happened, um, that wasn't the case because. There were huge issues um like very quickly about bed space because of the hospital I'm at and um so what they ended up having to do was stop and start my induction and actually it was five days of mental torture because oh. I didn't know whether I was coming or going mm. and it was it was like the pain wasn't there, like I had a few contractions but nothing major. But actually it was mental torture and I remember I went in on the Wednesday and on the Saturday night at like 3 a.m. Sunday morning actually. I was crying at the desk, just saying I just want to get on with it because because of all the bed situation and everything else, they couldn't just like trolley me off for a cesarean either. So I was just in this huge limbo and and that was yeah, just really hard.
0: You must have been completely exhausted as well, because I'm guessing you weren't you're not really sleeping during this time because you're you're kind of constantly on this edge of what's happening and you know are we what's yeah i'm about to give birth but i can't give birth because we've stopped this and we're starting this and yeah yeah yeah, it It was
1: really it was really really like i say like it just i was i was yeah completely mentally and emotionally and and somewhat physically like you say actually just totally exhausted having said that once we did go in on the sunday um and i had my waters um like broken for me, which I was really nervous about. And because I didn't really think I was that dilated. I really wasn't like I was two centimeters, which had taken like days to get there. Um, and they, they ruptured um, my my waters. Um, yeah, which was a bit uncomfortable, but didn't hurt. I was really, really scared. Okay.
0: That's good to know, because yeah. I've seen, you know, the pictures of the
1: knitting yeah. yeah, I was like, oh my God. But it was, it was totally, I was like, oh, oh, brilliant. <laughs> I just wet myself. Um, no, but, um, but actually, I had the most incredible idea. I was put on the drip, which is often the case, I think, when you are induced. And one of the reasons people don't necessarily want an induction is because there is more likelihood of there being other interventions. I was induced. Um, at, no, sorry. I was put on the drip. Um, I had loads of the drugs that they give you, even though, you know, just like I say, another conversation um, at the very last minute. So at nine o'clock in the morning on the Monday, I was there. We, we did have a huge um, panic because Ren had taken obviously, all of that time to get to, so it was kind of 6am on Monday morning, I was about six, four, six centimetres dilated. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by nine o'clock, I was 10 centimetres dilated, which they just were not prepared for. Like, no one really knows how long it's going to take. But when I spoke to my midwife, who was on the shift through the night, she had said, Oh, yeah, I'd expect you to have her like kind of this afternoon, kind of early evening, but at 9am suddenly this new midwife is like oh my god I need a second opinion (laughs) doctor comes in checks me out oh my god right we're going to take you to theatre because we're not really sure which way this is going to go um and yeah like cue me violently shaking like it was just it was yeah it was quite traumatic in itself although Ren was never at risk um Mm. and I would have been a bit a bit miffed if I'd ended up and for people who this has happened to I totally accept that um having an emergency caesarean after being there for six days. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, I know that I would have reconciled myself with the fact that she is here and she's happy and healthy. But it was a vaginal birth with the help of um, a kiwi cup, which for anyone yeah. who doesn't know what that is, because I don't know what that is, and or I didn't. And when I Googled it, I still couldn't find out. It's like a manual Von toos. So a von Toos is kind of yeah. hooked up to a vacuum thing, but this is a manual one. So yeah, and she was out.
0: Fantastic. Mm. And you must have been so relieved.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I've got a picture of it and like every single emotion you could ever imagine is etched on my face in that moment. She had just been rugby balled onto my tummy, umbilical cord still attached. And it was just, yeah, the most overwhelming and incredible moment of my entire life. It really was. I'm so lucky and I pinch myself every single day that she is here. I just I never thought I would be here and yeah I I couldn't be more grateful she's perfect
0: and I I mean I so I've got a bit better about thinking about it now and this is this is probably going to sound really weird but you know the whole weird story (laughs) things literally for most of my pregnancy whenever I have had the thought of my baby being born and that moment when they're placed on my chest I can feel myself now I literally I cannot I get emotional I get really emotional and I can't you know if I let myself think about it too long then I will cry essentially and and I'm not quite sure why that is I think perhaps there is some probably some deep anxiety about you know and just that kind of that that moment of relief perhaps um but yeah, if, and and I think the closer I get, the more I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I probably will be having a baby at some point. I need to deal with that and get my head around that. Um, but yeah, I definitely have, yeah, that's something I struggled with. And, I, and actually that's kind of meant that I haven't really let myself think about that moment until quite recently. Um, and I think maybe that's part of that, that kind of protective mechanism and sort of, you know, as, as much as, you know, I have, I try and do my positive thinking. I have my affirmations and I, you know, I tell myself, you know, different pregnancy, different outcome, this baby, you know, there's no reason why this baby won't be coming home. We've got, you know, we've got all the care and monitoring and everything going on around it. So, you know, we're we're in the best possible position. I think there's perhaps always that little part of you sort of deep inside, that little voice that you can't quite get rid of. That that is there, kind of niggling at you, and that that sort of very sort of deeply bedded anxiety around that. So yeah,
1: I I think it's one of the the kind of the great like tragedies of having gone through infertility and loss, and then being pregnant, and like other than obviously the tragedy in itself, but is that we we really struggle to look up, you know, and and look forward to the baby being here and and often we talk about it within the fertility community that you know those two lines that pregnancy isn't the result that's not what we like we are aiming for it but actually that's just like i said earlier on that's the next step in the fertility journey what we actually want what the end goal is is holding that happy and healthy baby in our arms and we we should try to look up you know I was going to say need but you know we don't actually need to but we really should try to look up and and look forward to that but it is it's incredibly hard but what then happens is that we're not prepared and we haven't bought some of like you don't need half of the stuff but you know we haven't (laughs) we haven't looked, I was really lucky because I could almost do it by default. You know, I interviewed someone, a lactation specialist for my podcast. So I was absorbing this information without having to run onto Google and look into it because I was probably like everyone else, you know, really nervous about doing it and imagining actually that they're here. But it is, yeah, it make I think it, it has a chance an opportunity to make things more difficult when the little ones are here because we don't want to look up and that's exactly kind of one of the reasons that my community is there because you kind of I want people almost to absorb some of the information rather than I don't know and and my problem you know you hear yeah.
0: it even if they feel they can't consciously go out and pick up that book or do that search you yeah know, if you've got it around you then you're kind of taking
1: some of it in and it'll be the same reason that people listen to this podcast because of you and because of your experience it's like we're coming from the same point as them you know um and 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 that like you know i know that put me in that position that's how i feel i want to hear from someone who is talking from my perspective um because that's easier and and you mentioned it earlier on like it's going through the normal pregnancy and parenting channels can 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 actually just put us off massively so that can be really yeah. hard
0: and I, ha- I have to say and and I don't know anyone else who might be sort of listening to this if you're in that kind of third trimester stage sort of mid to late you know trimester stage, we we pretty much didn't buy anything or do anything until the third trimester and um, I literally just faint- finished painting the nursery and you know we have stuff because we've been very lucky and we have lots of friends who've kind of lent us stuff and it's all over the house at the moment and I have to say, I had this calm, sort of quite a calm point, I guess, at the, the beginning of the third trimester, where I started thinking about birth planning and you know looking at the hypnobirthing, and and I was kind of getting my head around that. And I've actually, in the last few weeks, I've found I've gone from being very focused on the birth and how I can prepare for that, to feeling completely overwhelmed at the thought of actually bringing a baby home and being responsible for this little life and I know I have stuck my head in the sand you know effectively around that because of my previous experience for most of the pregnancy and and even now you know I I you know I talk about it possibly I, I sometimes struggle to believe that we will actually hopefully have a living baby at the end of this and I do think that's perfectly natural but that does make it hard and so I was kind of wondering how were those first few weeks and months for you after you brought Ren home? And do you have any tips for me and other listeners, of course, but me <laughs> on parenting after loss?
1: <laughs> um, wow. Honestly, that's again a whole other episode. But what I would say, <laughs> so we were given lots of advice about keep your circle small. Like keep it just to you, your partner if you have one and your baby in your house, that's it. And like the health visitor will pop in. Keep family and friends at arm's length. Now I know at the moment, depending on what the lockdown situation is going to be at the time, you know, you might not have any kind of sway over that. Mm -hmm. We did keep it just to us. And I, looking back, would I do the same again? Not necessarily, because I don't know, like there are definitely pros and um and some of that is that I walked around my house basically with knickers on for the whole time <laughs> that was it <laughs> just but I, I had a situation with um so we breastfed and I again because of the like my body's going to do this I felt really determined to breastfeed um and the only person in my family who's ever breastfed um and I but the only infertile one <laughs> as I mentioned um and I but I had too much milk which sounds like an amazing problem to have but it's still mm-hmm. a problem I was like massively engorged it was just really difficult But it meant that I could just walk around, basically, in in a pair of knickers or pyjama shorts. It was fortunately the summer. It was very hot. And and just kind of work through that without worrying about people being around or popping in or what I looked like or whether or not someone needed a cup of tea. Because what happens is people come and visit. They want to hold the baby. You're there knackered making a cup of tea. So if you do have visitors, I would stipulate you have to bring some food for me. Okay. don't expect lunch. In fact, you need to bring me lunch. Even if it's not lunchtime, I will eat it. I will have it. Um, (laughs) So bring food when you get here. Yes, you can hold the baby, but only after you've made me a cup of tea and hung my washing out, stroke done my ironing, stroke made my bed, stroke anything else that needs doing. Um, So I would, I would be, I would genuinely, and I say that kind of joking, but I genuinely mean it, you know, like if you're going to have people in the house in the first few weeks, which, you know, go for it. Give them some stipulations. It's really hard. You're knackered. You're working out what to do. Your baby is working out what to do. You know, you need support. You need help. Don't be shy of asking for it. Does that make sense? And the breastfeeding thing is just really, really, really bloody hard. People always say, oh, no one ever told me it'd be hard. Like, I am telling you, it is so hard until, because they're saying, put the, even listening to this, people will be like, what? Like they're saying, put the nipple into the the palate of their mouth and you just don't get it, even though it may, and then suddenly, if you're lucky, you get it. And once you know, you know, but until that moment, it is, you could be talking Japanese Mm -hmm. to me, quite frankly so
0: yeah yeah I think I mean I I also would very much like to to breastfeed and and at the moment uh, before before the whole birth and those post uh, post post-birth hormones and everything kicks in um you know I'm I'm fairly sort of determined to at least give it a good go on that score and you know I do I do have quite a few friends who have struggled with breastfeeding and have, have been through experiences so I feel like I know it's going to be hard. So I'm hoping that helps prepare me for it in some way. Um, Yeah. But I know. And I think that's a really good point about, about people coming around. And I think, I mean, actually one thing I'm not hugely worried about it, but it is at the back of my mind is um, because we are actually where I live. We are currently in a local lockdown still, although we're being released from that on Wednesday and yeah. And I'm just hoping that we don't go into another lockdown then. And you know what I've spoken to people who have been who've had who've lost babies during the pandemic and you know they've kind of said well we had someone come around because exceptional circumstances right yes it's the rules but you know when something like that happens you kind of <laughs> you maybe take a more flexible attitude but um yeah but I am hoping that we are not not in that lockdown period so we can have at least sort of parents or someone come around to
1: help us out a bit <laughs> yeah I do I remember we we did I had a conversation with my husband because we had decided that we weren't going to have people around for the first mm. couple of weeks and I had a conversation with him it must have been maybe before Wren was born or maybe since when she was born because we were in we had her on the Monday but we didn't leave the hospital till the Thursday and I remember talking to him probably in that time and I said look we could go home and have to sort everything out ourselves or I could ask my mum to come up and she could help us on that first day. And we did that. And we both, like, my mum is just a whirlwind. And it was that was brilliant because what that meant was that my mum did five loads of washing got them clean I don't even know how there was so much washing quite frankly um but she did she managed to get five loads of washing done hung out dry folded she got us what I say to ground zero in our house like bearing in mind I'd been out of the house for a while my husband had been kind of traveling back and forth to the hospital like dumping stuff picking up what we needed etc so she got us to ground zero it meant that my husband could look after me and that meant kind of going and doing a Tesco shop getting the food in making sure I was okay and then I could look after Ren and and that was if we hadn't have had that day to kind of set us up I think yeah. that those first couple of weeks would have been even harder um, but that really like I say she got us to ground zero which meant that we kind of yeah I just that was that was a brilliant day actually in my head still now.
0: Yeah, Because <laughs> I mean really the last thing you want when you come home from hospital and a new baby is a pile of dirty dishes next to them. I wasn't gonna to the do same, them. Which you haven't done because you've just been in hospital <laughs> for the first few days. Yeah. Or whatever. And, they would have been there <laughs> three
1: or four weeks later. Yeah. You can guarantee it for sure. Oh, <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, unfortunately, we have well, we actually went over time a bit, Sorry, but, you know, we're having such a good chat.
0: No, 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 no. I could honestly I could continue talking all day. But you know, I'm conscious that people listening might have something else to often do. Um I don't know what, but you know, <laughs> anyway, so let's finish off by sort of talking about support really, and in particular the kind of community you've uh, created so I, as I sort of mentioned, uh, sort of way back near the beginning, I was very lucky, and it was quite coincidental, a bit how I how I found a, a couple of people in the baby loss community who are pregnant at around the same time as me, and I have certainly found that a massive, massive source of support. Just being able to have those kind of WhatsApp conversations and and you know those moans when you're having a bad day or the kind of grief hits you or someone said something to you that you found quite triggering or frustrating or annoying and they just get it (laughs) they just you know they just understand and and you don't have to worry about offending them or anything like that um but I know not you know not everyone is maybe lucky enough to have those those kind of relationships or have those kind of people to lean on so tell us a bit more about uh well why you started the finally pregnant podcast and what the hangout is and what it does
1: yeah, absolutely. So, like I mentioned, when I was finally pregnant, people contacted me who were also pregnant or already parenting at that stage, and you know, were like, "Where's the support?" I, I, you know, I haven't got any, and I need it. No one understands what I'm going through, and that made me create the podcast. So I launched that, like I said, in the last six weeks of my pregnancy with Ren. Um, much easier to get it sorted and up and running then. Like I had, I was so organized, and I had scheduled <laughs> scheduled episodes. And this is to you now, especially. <laughs> I had scheduled episodes for the day I went into my induction for the Wednesday after Sir Rem was born on the Monday. An episode went out the Wednesday afterwards. Mm-hmm. I had it all organized. Um now so much harder to organize. I've got an interview from last October that still hasn't made it to air. And COVID in all of that like made things even like, you know, yeah, harder. Um but um so the podcast is there, it it it's a mixture of other people's stories so you know of infertility and loss pregnancies um and and different you know some people have had no fertility issues but they've dealt with recurrent miscarriage or you know other people it's it's just I say that kind of yeah um just fertility they haven't experienced loss but it's you know it's a complete mixture coupled with some experts talking about their specialisms, whether that's nutrition, whether that's as I mentioned earlier on a lactation specialist. We, I've talked to um the top consultant at my hospital, which is Adam Brooks, um, about screening and you know, so there's 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 a lot of different information there. Um and then Whilst I was on my maternity leave, I guess, um, although I ended up leaving my job when I left because I knew that this was the kind of thing that I wanted to pursue. Um, And I also run a business called Cat and Alice with a lovely girl, Alice, who I met through Instagram. Um, And um, we specifically support people who are trying to conceive there. Um, And but I, I just felt like, well, I knew people needed more because because I got such amazing responses about the, the podcast. But where could we carry on this conversation? So at the beginning of this year, I launched um, The Hangout, which is a, a membership community for people who are finally pregnant after infert- infertility and loss. And it's hosted via Facebook, the actual group, but it's a completely private um group in Facebook and it's called The Hangout because it it doesn't have anything to do with pregnancy in it because I don't want to out you if you don't want to tell people that you're pregnant until you're ready like that isn't you know this so it's called The Hangout specifically so that I don't have any pregnancy related kind of words in there and it's actually been really special kind of growing it so it's how old is it now it's kind of about six months old and we've got just the most wonderful community of women in there and I didn't stipulate it needed to be women but that is the way it's gone and I'm fine with that um and we have three support groups a month so one of them and I've got one this evening actually um is with a speaker session so someone is talking this evening I've got someone talking about pregnancy and work you know kind of telling work you're pregnant um going on maternity leave and and making that a good thing working while you're um on maternity leave which probably is more if you're self-employed, but also kit days and and then returning to work and being back at work, you know, all of those things. Um, and so I have a speaker session and then I have a finally pregnant support group and a finally parenting support group. And I have over the last few months kind of split that because they are different conversations. But what I always say is if you are having a tough day and the, there is a support group, it doesn't matter what one it is, like you come and join us and you are welcome. And it's just been amazing to watch those relationships Bloom and blossom, and like we cry like literally cry in those sessions if some someone might be having a really hard day, and there was one conversation I remember and someone was really struggling about work in particular, and everyone is just there with you and understands and and is supportive and I know that lots of people reached out to her afterwards and so what you know she she wasn't alone and she knew she wasn't alone um and then as well as that I've ended up creating so you mentioned earlier on about pre uh, um, antenatal classes and yoga. And, and so now I run a finally pregnant um, yoga course. So It's a four week course with an amazing yoga teacher who totally gets it. And so I'm running that. So there's one that happens on the 16th of September, which will be too late for this, but we Mm -hmm. are going to launch one for November as well. Um, And I have meditations again, you speaking about seeing your baby, like one of my meditations, because I created it for myself when I was trying to conceive, I wanted to see my baby. That was my end result, not just the pregnancy. Um, And so I kind of adapted that and re-recorded it. And so you can you can you can buy that on my website. It's very cheap. It's only a fiber, and you get an affirmations kind of worksheet with it as well to help you. Um, But yeah, it's it's kind of it's growing. Like I love it. I love the community, and also I do loads of free stuff and loads of stuff on Instagram as well. So you don't have to. And the podcast is free as well. Um, So yeah, I just it's it's it was a gap in support and and I'm just so pleased that I I'm able to fill it as best I can. And there are there are other areas of support, you know, you like Tommy's Pregnancy Hub, you know, they do an amazing amount of support support for people who are pregnant after um loss. And and that you mentioned Sands and like there are other organizations and individuals who are, are now providing that support um or have been for a while, and that's incredible. But yeah, like you can come and find me at catstrawbridge.com or on Instagram at trying years and uh, and the The podcast is finally pregnant but I just yeah I know what it's like and and I want I want other people to have the support that wasn't necessarily there when I was going through it
0: yeah it's fantastic I think it's fantastic community you set up and yeah really filling that gap which which wasn't there and isn't there and something that people can attend from all over the country you know
1: virtual the world Um, yeah yeah all the world indeed
0: yeah (laughs) fantastic and i will include those links in in the show notes thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and chatting with me today kat i've really enjoyed chatting to you and it's uh, been a brilliant experience oh it's been
1: my pleasure thank you so much Alison. thank you for listening to this episode of footprints on our hearts
0: please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on itunes You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.